You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. What a day already. My goodness. I mean, it's like seconds afternoon. It's signing day. But I think most of the sports world right now is mourning the loss of one Franco Harris. Wow. What a running back. And how odd we were just talking about him yesterday and the Immaculate Reception, which happened against the Raiders uh, 40 years ago. But anyway, he passed away at the age of 72. His son made that announcement. No cause of death was given. And in a sad bit of irony, in three days, they were going. the Pittsburgh Steelers were going to retire the jersey number 32 as they hosted the Raiders, which, and I'm, I'm not trying to divert attention away from this sad moment, but why wasn't he already retired? I, did they have to wait 40 years? I, I don't know. Anyway, that, that's a very, very small rant aimed at the Pittsburgh Steelers. And with the exception of perhaps Raiders fan, I think everybody that suited up in the NFL in his era respected the hell out of him as a player and as a person. All right, it is also signing day, and joining us right now on Big Noon Sports is Rodney Orr to talk about just that. Hey, Rodney, it's Matt Coulter, Lars Anderson, and Christian Miller here bringing you Big Noon Sports. It's been a while. It's been a minute, as they say now, Rodney. How are you? I am doing well, Matt, and... You know, as you say that, I remember back 27 years ago when I joined you and Scott Griffin on another station when we were just starting this business. Where has time gone? Well, you have made it a in, an incredible success, and congratulations on that. I watch your show with Gary Harris. Of course, you know Gary Harris and I are pretty tight. So, right. Um, I have watched from a distance, but uh, I'm quite proud. You've, you've done very well, Rodney. Uh, well, that's, it's that Alabama said, fans. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> that uh, I don't think I don't think you're you're doing this with SMU. Oh, uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, I think the biggest deal, and Lars brought him up yesterday because everybody's wondering if the the offensive lineman deemed the best in the country, mm-hmm. Caden Proctor, Bama flipped him. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, Caden Proctor out of Des Moines, Iowa. And actually, uh, he was, uh, there was a time in the summer before he committed when he visited here officially that there was some thought that he was leaning towards Alabama at that time, decided to stay home with the commitment then. And then, of course, Alabama never gave up and continued to recruit him. And Iowa finished number 130 in the country and, you know, offense. And I think that certainly was something that opened his eyes. But, yeah, this is a big flip. I mean, Alabama's got a massive offensive line class, you know, signed uh, now. And uh, the, the, the the run of the group is Rock McElderry, and he's only 6'3", 335. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a really, really good group, Matt, on, on the offensive front. And it kind of tells me something about 
you know, to me, the direction that Alabama wants to get back to, you know, dominating that line of scrimmage. You know, uh, when Caden Proctor held his press conference this morning, he could not have said more damning words about the Iowa program when he said, quote, when I committed, I felt like I was settling. Ooh, that hurts oh, if you're Iowa. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, a, you know, a, their history's the, not the, good but, here recently. I know, but they have a history of putting offensive linemen into the NFL. But uh, and he's a local kid, and when a local kid says that about your program, that that's a that's a gut punch. Um, I, I do want to stick with the offensive line. Where do you think Nick wants to go? Uh, more power running, uh, kind of going back to where he uh, began when he was at Alabama. I think certainly the balance of being able to run the ball, uh, being able to dominate the line of scrimmage, run between the tackles, run with power. Uh, I, I think, yeah, you're right on that. I, do I think they want to continue to, you know, have great quarterbacks? Obviously, they're recruiting those guys. Uh, you know, they've even got a kid committed for next year. He's one of the top quarterbacks in the country out of California, Julian Sayan, uh, who can sling it all over the place. So I want, I, I know that they want to continue to to be able to do that and utilize great speed at wide receiver. But you know, they have to get that balance back, and it starts up front. And I think these guys that they've recruited. Uh, certainly are a move in that direction. Is there anybody else that uh, Alabama has signed this morning that might surprise people? Uh, No, not really. I think everything's gone to plan. I think they've got 24 of the 25 that were committed. Uh, Eli Holstein is already here. He's already practicing with the team. I don't think his... LOI has come across yet, or he signed it. You know, it's not a problem, but he's here. So he would be 25. They're waiting on two guys, of course, five-star teammates at Carver High School in Montgomery, uh, defensive lineman James Smith and linebacker Quay Rusaw. And they're announcing at 1 o'clock on ESPN2. So that looks favorable right now for Alabama. I know Auburn's made a really strong push down the stretch. And, you know, Georgia's been a kind of a sneaky contender, too, here. So, uh, but I feel really good as you go into those announcements at 1 o'clock that Alabama would land those two as well. And just sort of looking at the big picture here, uh, Alabama is going to land the number one class in the country for the third time in the last five years. Clearly, Nick Saban has not lost his fastball when it comes to recruiting. Um, just, again, big picture. How has Nick's philosophy changed in recruiting? And also, is he traveling as much as he used to? It, it, it certainly seems like, again, he's not slowing down at all. No, I think, you know, you saw him everywhere. If you, if you, you know, followed it on Twitter the pictures of him visiting different prospects. I mean, he was as active as any coach, I think, in college football, you know, that we saw. And I don't think there's any doubt about that as far as, you know, what his, how his philosophy has really changed. I, I don't know that they have, you know, you got, obviously you have NIL out there. That's something that's a strong consideration. You know, you're, you're, you were going against programs that are kind of using it in a different way, uh, you know, to entice players up front. So that's certainly been a change. I think it affected recruiting a lot. But at the same time, I think Nick Saban's approach has been basically the same. You know, he's selling the same things that, you know, he sold four, five, six, seven years ago. Come here, 
you know, getting this culture be developed, um, you know, compete for championships, um, you know, prepare yourself, develop for the NFL, whatever it is. I, I think all of those things still are very, very important to a lot of these kids. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, he's, he's continued to sell that well. With that said, I'll say this, too. I think what has changed a little bit is now he's pushing 72. They lost two games this year. A lot was made of that, and that the program might be going backwards. Uh, maybe staff changes. Uh, Saban's, you know, coming near the end of his career. Does he still have it? All of those things. And I think that he responded extremely well down the stretch. You know, they had some big wins. That Ole Miss win, the way they turned it around the second half, you know, the way they finished the season so far, has been really, really helpful, I think, because it squelched some of the negativity that I think they were facing. And they held on to the guys that they had committed, and they had some top guys that were being heavily pursued, as you know, whether it's Caleb Downs, the five-star safety, Justice Haynes, five-star running back, et cetera, all those guys. But then you all of a sudden you land Keon Keeley, what, about a week and a half ago, whatever it was, five-star a player out of Tampa, outside pass rush guy. Then you get Caden Proctor to flip. I mean, this, this shows me, hey, Nick Saban, he hasn't lost it. Uh, you know, I think this recruiting class right here is probably, in my opinion, following all this, just as far as the effort, and, and I say the effort, I'm talking about the way he, you know, battled through all of these negative things, and he overcame. I, I think this is the best group I've seen in that regard. Wow. I think it's almost a given, and I'll emphasize almost, that Proctor could probably come in and play, particularly with where Alabama's O-line is right now. Yeah, with Steen leaving. Yeah. Yeah. And Keeley, um, you know, he, he looks like Dallas Turner revisited. <laughs> uh, are there other players that have already signed that you think can come in and contribute next fall? Well, you know, Matt, one thing I've learned, you know, going through that gate every August, you, you, you know, uh, it, it's different when you sign in – December or February, whenever, and then you go in the gate and reality sets in, you know, on that first practice, I think. So it's always tough to tell. I mean, I, I just, you know, overall, it's a, like I said, it's a very impressive class. We'll see. Uh, you know, I really like the running back, Justice Haynes, uh, out of Georgia. I think he's eventually going to be an outstanding player. But if you look offensively, I would say at wide receiver, you know, keep a close eye on the JUCO transfer, Malik Benson. He was the number one JUCO player in the country. He runs a legitimate sub-10, 500 meters, you know, around 10-4, a guy that's really more polished uh, than, than maybe uh, some guys. He's not just a, a speed guy. Uh, so I would really keep an eye on him to make a you know, instant impact. I think in the secondary, Caleb Downs, to me, uh, I'm not comparing him to Minka Fitzpatrick in the, in the sense that you know, he's going to walk in and step in and start right away, although I think he's certainly going to have that opportunity. But I think just as a player, the way he plays, the aura that he carries himself with, the intelligence that he has, I think he's kind of a Minka Fitzpatrick 2.0. I think he's a guy that's going to be a great, great player and, and will make an impact, you know, really, really early um, in his career. You know, I've been somewhat cynical about the role of NIL money uh, in the recruiting process and 
And I've always just kind of thought that uh, kids are going to go to the highest bidder. But I don't think that's the case necessarily when you look at the recruiting rankings, right? I, I, I would argue, and I don't have the inside scoop on this. I don't know if anybody really does, that Miami would have more money in Alabama. Texas would have more money than Alabama and several other schools. But here you are, Alabama with arguably – you know, one of uh, Coach Saban's best recruiting classes. It, 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 maybe the takeaway is that that these young men are actually seeing that if you go to Alabama, you are preparing yourself for the NFL in a way that you wouldn't be preparing yourself if you went to other schools. Am I off on that? No, I think you're right. And I think they're recruiting. That's the kind of guy, you know, that's part of the process with recruiting that, I think Nick Saban really emphasizes is, you know, they want to get the right fit. They want to, they want those guys that see the bigger picture. Uh, you know, I think there's guys that turn down money, uh, that turn down a lot of opportunities for money uh, at, at other schools. I, you know, Olasa Lennon is a kid that, you know, he played in a school up in Connecticut. He's originally from Finland. He's a 6'6", 315-pound offensive tackle. You know, he narrowed it down to Alabama and Miami. And, you know, after he committed to Alabama, this has been several months ago, he said, you know, he chose rings over Lambos. You know, uh, you know, so I, I think that's the key is, is, you know, getting guys that see the big picture. Because guess what? You get some of those guys with the other kind of mindset in, and it can really, you know, hurt you in the long run. Uh, guys, when promises don't start coming through, uh, your locker room really gets divided things start happening. So I think really Nick Saban, the way he's kind of, like I said, he's kind of stuck to that same formula that he's had over the years in, in terms of what he's selling for this program. I know you are short on time, Rodney, but I do want you to just take a minute and go across the state. When I read this morning that Keldrick Falk had flipped from Florida State to Auburn that continues to tell me that Hugh Freeze is getting it done and then some at Auburn. Am I reading that correctly? Well, I think that that is a big flip for them to me. I thought Keldrick Falk, Falk was a uh, you know great athlete, man. I mean, he really is. He's a guy, athletically, <clears throat> he looks like he could play tight end, defensive end, whatever. He's going to grow a lot. He's got a great frame. Again, I agree with you. That's a that's a great great pickup. You know, maybe they had some rough spots today, but listen, Hugh Freeze is a really really good proven coach in terms of evaluating players, the recruiting that he did at Ole Miss, the development. So I think yeah, they're going to be fine. How do people follow you today and then year round? <laughs> well, Matt, we're on Tidernsider dot It's only forty eight dollars a year. And you can get instant access with your credit card if you prefer. There's an address there to send a check and gives you all our premium information, but also our all sports forum, our community of Alabama fans there. I mean, it's constant, it never stops at tighterinsider.com. I talked to Griffin the other day. He was his usual oh. pleasant <laughs> self. I'm just letting you know. Yeah. <laughs> I need to call him. Is that tongue I need in to cheek? check on him. Hey. <laughs> He's doing great. But uh, Scott Griffin is Scott Griffin, and I love the guy. All right. Thank you, Rodney. Appreciate it. Let you get back to business. Great stuff, Rodney. Okay, guys. Thank you. You bet. Uh, Lars, when we get back, I want you and Christian to comment on Franco Harris. Uh, he was uh, 
kind of a once-in-a-lifetime player. And, and one of those guys, Lars, that I think he crossed, maybe with the exception of Oakland, he seemed to cross all boundaries. Didn't everybody like him? I think so. This is Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Roll Tide, the best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. This holiday ad will be over in 27 seconds. Unlike the new Duracell battery with power boost ingredients that can last 19,976. Cloudy tomorrow, some scattered light rain, the high 57. Windy and very cold on Friday. The chance of morning snow flurries, the high 24. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 48 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Fifty years ago, Bradshaw drops back as the Steelers are playing Oakland. And at the time, and still, that's one of the greatest rivalry in all sports because they would always meet in the playoffs. Always. But anyway, he was throwing deep to Frenchie Fuqua. And ball ended up, they collided. He collided with Jack Tatum, the assassin. God, what a player. And uh, ball careened in the direction of Franco Harris. And when you're talking about inches, I mean inches. And he scooped the football up off the AstroTurf with just a literally an inch to spare. And the rest is Steelers history. Yeah, it was, so. It was fantastic, Will. So uh, Pittsburgh was losing this playoff game to uh, the Oakland Raiders at the time. They're trailing 7-6. to six. It's 4th and 10 from their own 40, 22 seconds left in the 4th quarter, right? Bradshaw drifts back to pass, and he throws to Frenchie Fuqua. And that's when he and Tatum collide, and the ball went careening back toward midfield in the direction of Harris. But here's the thing, and I, want, I really want Christian to comment on this. Franco Harris never gave up on the play, and he did what I believe every player is supposed to do, run toward the ball. Absolutely. At all times, run toward the ball. And the thing is, everyone on the field stopped, but Harris kept churning his legs, snatching the ball off three, the Three River Stadium turf, basically. And then he outraced the, I mean, the Raiders' defense was just stunned. And it was that linebacker I just mentioned. I can't pronounce his name. Phil Villapiano. He had a chance to, to to make a play at about the four-yard line, and Franco stiff-armed him. And, look, that play is the most iconic play in the history of the NFL. Well, I uh, that's my – I would you argue know, that. Uh, and you, you would have a good argument. Personally, and, and it is more uh, personal. The Packers. I, I would say the ice bowl. Yeah. Instant replay. Uh, but go on. but a, it was, was not a, nearly that was, as dramatic. That was a quarterback sneak from the inch yeah. line. Did, 
Do you understand the conditions they were in? And it was fourth and one, and Starr was supposed to hand the ball off. Uh, and I, you know, oh, I'm no, I actually did. I, oh, I don't know down. the history. Oh, it was that. fourth and one. It was 13 degrees below zero. Oh, it was. Uh, but that's me. I, I would also say, particularly in what we'd call the last 50 years, that is. Uh, let Christian, I'm sure you've seen this play. Uh, and you probably talked to your dad about Franco Harris. Your thoughts? Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, I didn't know too much about him. You know, um, but just, just just look at his career. You know, four-time Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP, Offensive Rookie of the Year, NFL Man of the Year, which I think is an outstanding award. Um, it, it's awarded to somebody who's given their efforts off the field and making a difference in their communities. Um, you know, he's nine-time Pro Bowler in the, for his first nine seasons. So I mean. Um, truly an unprecedented career that he had, and I don't think it gets much better than that. I mean, that's just probably arguably one of the best resumes in NFL history. And um, again, and, and notably that he's um, such a high character person off the field that I think obviously this guy was, um, you know, rare. Uh, and um, you know, hate that he passed away, but um, you know, what a, what a legacy that he left behind. Um, again, not only in football, but just from what you're you're seeing, at least what I'm reading about his character and the things that he did off the field. Um, truly, just a special person, and uh, we're def- definitely losing a good one, and uh, definitely losing a a key piece of that NFL brotherhood. But uh, again, when you leave a legacy like that, I don't think there's anything more you can ask for. Yeah, and Pittsburgh embraced him like few athletes. Well, and he uh, went to Penn it, State. Yeah, know. and he was primarily a blocking back there for Lydell Mitchell. He, you know, but he showed enough potential that the Steelers drafted him in the first round, thirteenth overall pick, and then gets to Pittsburgh, and Pittsburgh has a large Italian population, and they just absolutely embraced him. Two local businessmen uh, founded what became known as Franco's Italian Army. And that was a nod to Franco's roots as the son of an African-American father and, a, and an Italian mother. And, you know, a, again, this weekend, his, his jersey was supposed to be, is going to be retired. Um, and uh, the only uh, jersey that has been retired by the Steelers is number 75, worn by Mean Joe Green. Um, but, uh, you know, he, uh, it'll be, it'll be nice to talk to Christian's dad l- uh, later on in the show, Corey Miller because he got to know Franco through different uh, golf events and, and other charity events. But, um, you know, it, it, from what I gather, and I, and I never met Franco, I never had the honor of, of meeting him, but um, he, 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 really, he was the kind of guy who let his play do the talking. Absolutely. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't uh, you know, a real extrovert or anything, and um, he just felt like he was part of the team. And he also went a long way, I believe, Matt, to making number 32 such a special number for running backs, right? You got, you got uh, Jim Brown, right? Franco Harris, O.J. Simpson, uh, you know, and, and there's a, a long list. And I, and I know we're going back here to the, to the 70s and 60s. Which but, is uh, fine with me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it's hard to describe the impact that he had, uh, not just on the NFL, but, but certainly the, the city of Pittsburgh. And I, and I know they are in mourning right now. Did any one player in the history of the NFL fit their city better? Johnny Unitas, maybe in Baltimore. Yeah. 
And, and Lambert was a he was a Steeler Steeler, and so was Mean Joe. But uh, I think you you absolutely knocked it out of the park when you said he should and will always be recognized for his play and how he played and his humble play and his toughness. Uh, you know, he's a steel worker. Yeah, I mean, just win, winning four Super Bowls and um, in, in, in that, uh, that, that game uh, 50 years ago, um, the Steelers didn't have Stallworth or Lynn Swan yet, but they were in the process of building, 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 building. And, um, man, he was a, a part of a dynasty. I, I would argue that Pittsburgh in the late 70s, 80s, was as every bit as dynastic as, what, New England? Cowboys. New Patriots. England and the Cowboys. Yeah. Those three. Um, I have a great trivia question for you. What is unique about the Pittsburgh Steelers helmets. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll answer that question, or perhaps Christian Miller knows it. Lars may know it. Hey, Lincoln, do you know what is unique about the Pittsburgh Steelers helmet? My seven-year-old son Lincoln's in the house. Lincoln, are you a Pittsburgh fan? No. Who hey, does, hey, is, say, he's got to be a Bengals fan, who, for who, goodness sake. Who do you sake. root for? Come on. Uh, Who's your favorite player? You know, kids will run their mouth all day long. Uh, you put a microphone in loves, front of them and they just... He loves Jamar Chase. He's uh, He asked Santa Claus for a Jamar Chase jersey. Well, Santa, are you listening? <laughs> I think he is. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about Franco. Uh, I'll give you the information on his, the helmets that I think is very cool, very interesting. Um, also, uh, back to recruiting. Uh, we will check in with what's happening there as well because it is National Signing Day 1 on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Dell Technologies Days of Deals for Business start now with fresh, limited quantity deals on tech to drive productivity. Save on select performance laptops and desktops. I wanted to be an outlet pass. I remember telling myself, go to the ball. Things happen. You could throw a block. You, you can recover a fumble. But don't stand still. And it wasn't like I was, you know, a burst of speed going to the ball. But I started taking steps. My mind is a complete blank after that. I remember nothing until I'm stiff-arming Jimmy Warren going into the end zone. Oh, my God. Fans just kept jumping from the stand, and everybody was hugging one another. They were jumping all over Terry, and no one knew what was going on, right? Oh, I didn't know you what know, happened. You know, the I'm rest, asking. And, and, you know, what like, happened? Wow. 
uh, just hearing him talk about it kind of gives you chills. Uh, that's Franco Harris on the Immaculate Reception, just as uh, you described a minute ago how it happened. And uh, what a cool play. Uh, and I'm trying to think of other plays that define the NFL, and I can't come up with many that are even on that level. Maybe, how about uh, the Super Bowl catch, New York Giants? The, uh, the, yep, the helmet, that's what, that's, helmet catch? Yep, yeah. That would be up there. Um, Joe Montana, Dwight Clark. Oh. The catch. That was, God, that was unbelievable, too. That was, you know, we could probably take this and then start talking about college football and go until tomorrow at about oh, 1130. Yeah. Fumble Uh Oh, that was Bobby Bowden no, versus no, it Nebraska. Was, no, wasn't it? It, was, it was Nebraska against, yeah, uh, yeah it was uh, Dean Steincooler. Yeah, uh, I got it. Was, it was an intentional fumble. By the quarterback, he Turner laid it Hill. down. He laid it down on the ground, his legs. and then the guard yeah. pulls around and picks up the ball and runs for a touchdown. What do you think it is in Alabama, hmm. Christian? You need to chime in on this yeah. as we just take a different direction, or even of the Nick Saban era. That probably would be um, more suited for me, <laughs> y'all. Yeah. CJ Yeldon, yeah. I mean uh, Alabama uh, big plays, uh, and I have uh, gosh. Marcel uh, Darius hit on Colt McCoy. Duh, what about Yeldon? Yeah, second. And oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, that's only the greatest play in college football history. <laughs> and we just glossed all up up until then. And I still think old school Bama fans goal line stand Penn State. Yeah. Sugar Bowl. Yeah. Seventy eight um, Sugar Bowl. Even yes. Played in seventy nine. Right. January one to seventy nine. Yes. Seventy eight yep. season. Yep. Um, hey, Christian, we even had a chance to talk to you about uh, the rec- Alabama's recruiting class. Mm-hmm. And um, just now that it's all officially coming together, just uh, your initial reaction. You know, uh, kind of like Clint was mentioned yesterday, I think one of the, the, the biggest things that, that stands out to me is the offensive line commits, the mass that these guys bring. Um, I think it, it's a testament of, of how – um, Alabama wants to to play football moving forward, and that's getting big physical guys up there that can get movement um, in the trenches um, that are going to play with a mean streak. You look at guys like Caden Proctor that they flipped from Iowa. Um, that guy plays with a mean streak. He plays with a bully mentality, very physical, massive guy as well, 6'7", 330 pounds. Um, they got a, a kid from Finland, um, Elias, uh, Elias. Allen in, I believe, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Another big guy, 6'6", 315. Um, man, I could just go on. Miles McVay, 6'6", 340 or 350 pounds. I mean, they've got a lot of beef up front. Um, so I think that's definitely you know, indicating these guys want to make sure they, they get that offensive line uh, beefed up moving forward. Um, you've got you know some some really high impact guys uh, like Caleb Downs plays safety who should come in and make an impact right away um, in the back end of the defense and up front you got Keon Keeley with elite um, size and, and and athletic tools um, to go along with that. I mean he's about six six two hundred and forty five pounds um, who's still a raw prospect still you know figuring his game out. But if you just watch him, he's got um, you know a, a nice arsenal of pass rush moves already and, and has a humongous ceiling um I, I think he can be a phenomenal player and uh can help fill in um, with the void of you know will anderson um foregoing his senior year and entering the nfl draft 
um, overall, I think it's a really balanced class. I just really like what they've done. You know, they've they've gotten uh, again the big O lineman coming in to help um, get get more stout up front. You know, defensively, um, you got uh, a, a JUCO a linebacker coming in who is a phenomenal athlete can run sideline to sideline. Um, just overall, just very balanced, and um, I'm really excited about this class. And I think um, the the biggest challenge for them really is to just get them in the program and make sure these guys are buying into the principles and values of the organization and, and really getting them back to, to understanding the foundation that was built here. And that's the, the, the process that Coach Saban pre- preaches about in the Bammer Standard. You know, you, you can be uh, immensely talented and, and, and do all these great things on the field, but the, the, the key to the recipe here at Alabama is to buy into the program and be a team-first kind of guy and really just trust and, proce- trust and believe in the process and everything should work out. So I'm excited for these guys and uh, I'm looking forward to see what they offer uh, to the program and I wish them nothing but success in their college careers does Keeley have that dog mentality or can you tell yet um, no, I, I think he does have some of it to him. You know, he's, he's definitely a, a nice and a respectful kid off the field, but he seems like he plays with that dog mentality. And, uh, again, it's, it's, it's almost to be determined, uh, cause you have to see how these guys, once they get on campus, it's going to be a big adjustment. Um, you know, once they get here, it's just going to be totally different. You know, they're, they're in a whole new strength and conditioning program. And you're going from playing against, you know, you're going from being that big fish in a small pond, and and now, you know, you're you're swimming with sharks. You know, I mean, you're you're with a bunch of other dogs, a bunch of other guys that are respectively ranked uh, number one in their positions and number one in the state, and uh, guys who've also been here in the program already for two years that have already been, you know, you know, putting that strength on, getting stronger, and, and uh, putting that mass on, and then just overall just a lot more developed. So um, I, I think there's a number of guys in this class that have that dog mentality, and uh, I think that's critical. Um, at, at right now because I feel like that was something that we lacked a little bit of this this past season and uh, I think it's really important that we kind of get back to that attitude um, within the program. You know, for any college freshman, incoming college freshman, even if you're not playing sports, no matter where you're going, you're leaving home for the first time and it is a massive life adjustment. It's hard. And, uh, you know, everybody, nearly everybody, suffers from homesickness right away. Uh, I, I certainly did, going about a thousand miles away for, from, school, uh, from my home for college. And, uh, but it goes away after like two weeks or so. You know, you find your group of friends. Um, what is the adjustment? What was the adjustment like for you, uh, Christian? And uh, if you could offer advice to these uh, young players coming in, what would it be? Yeah. So when I was coming out, you know, we didn't, we didn't, well, number one, we didn't have the early signing period. And, uh, you know, you had some guys that early enrolled, but there really was only a handful. And then the rest of us came um, early in the summer and we would get here. Uh, we'd start our summer classes. We jump in, in the strength and conditioning program. Um, you know, we're running with the, with the older guys in the morning and doing all the things that they've been doing. And uh, it's definitely um, quite the adjustment uh, because again, you know, I remember when I got here, I was still 17 years old, and uh, now I'm in the locker room with you know, hmm. Derek Henry, TJ Yeldon, running backs that are you know <laughs> twice my size already. I was 205 pounds. I mean, these guys look like 30 year old men, and I'm like, holy crap, like <laughs> it's for real now. And uh, you know, you got that part, you know, the physical uh, you know adjustment there, but also just in terms of routine. You know, you're waking up and 
you know, you did st- uh, similar things in high school, you know, you'd have summer conditioning, but this is a lot more intense, I would say, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we were running, you know, one tens with coach Cochran at six thirty in the morning, then heavy lifting right after that. Then you got to go to class and be in class by eight o'clock. And, uh, it, it just, uh, it's a, it's quite the adjustment, but you, you, you slowly start settling in and it's nice cause you have all the other uh, guys in your class. I mean, it looks like this class is around 30 guys or so. So you have all those guys with you doing it as well. And, you know, living in the dorms is a huge benefit because um, you just spend so much time together and you're doing everything together and it helps you get acclimated much quicker. And uh, ultimately, like you mentioned, like probably, you know, a week or two in, you start getting adjusted to the weight program that seemed like hell the first week. And then you get adjusted to the class schedule and you start finding things to do, you know, in your free time that are fun. And then uh, and then it becomes just so much fun. And then I just I, I can remember my first summer here. You know, we also, you know, started meeting the, the other athletes um, like the baseball uh, team and the, the women's soccer team. We were, you know, eating in the dining halls with them and getting to know them and it just it was so much fun and uh my advice would be to just embrace it you know listen to what you know, everybody's telling you just follow the rules you know do the right thing but you know, go in there work your tail off you know compete and uh, ultimately know you know it's a huge opportunity that you have so don't waste it take advantage of it and uh really you know almost have like a buddy system have other people to help hold you accountable and you hold them accountable because um, i think that that ultimately translates to success you know everybody's on the same page and uh, just helps you grow together. So that that would be my advice. But uh, man, such a special opportunity these guys have. Because um, again, just thinking back on it uh, brings back such good memories of you know me and my teammates just first getting there. We're in the dorms together, and uh, man, you know it, it, it just was a lot of fun. And uh, they, these guys definitely shouldn't take it for granted. You are such a superior athlete. I doubt you doubted yourself. But when you first saw Derrick Henry, did you say to yourself? What what a freak. Did I, did, what did I get myself into here? <laughs> you know, it's, it's pretty much you summed it up. So it's, I wouldn't necessarily say I, I doubted myself, but I had those thoughts in my head like, man, uh, I definitely have some work to do in the weight room to, to make sure that I'm uh, prepared <laughs> for the task at hand. Because, uh, yeah, these guys, they, they were a little more developed than I was. I had the height and length and stuff, but I did not have the size at the time. So definitely uh, made me work a lot harder in the weight room to, to catch up to those guys. I've done it again. Steelers helmet. One sided, Matt. It's one side. Take it through the next break. Yeah, it's one side. Do you know why? I don't. Mm, no. Save that one if you want. <laughs> All right. Let's get that. But, uh, I, I've always thought that was cool. One time, buddies were sitting around, we're watching the game, and um, I said, Why is it only on one side? And, and my buddy said, Because that's the side that the TV cameras are on. I went, they change every quarter. <laughs> All right. The real reason is coming up. Oh, Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Roll Tide. The best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. The world is always on. Cloudy tomorrow, some scattered light rain, the high 57. Windy and very cold on Friday, the chance of morning snow flurries, the high 24. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 49 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
Wow. It's uh, about 10 minutes in front of the hour of 1 o'clock, and you're listening to Big Noon Sports. Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Corey Miller, a longtime nine-year NFL vet and also the father of one Christian Miller, will be joining us uh, at 1.15 this afternoon. Uh, as over the years, I, I think more in retirement, uh, certainly, he got to know Franco Harris on on a first-name basis through golf tournaments. So we'll talk with him about that, recruiting and all. He's just a tremendous guest all the way around. Now, uh, because of the passing of Franco Harris, we've been talking about the Steelers and Mean Joe, and I brought up the logo. And, of course, the logo on the Steelers' helmet is only on one side. Now, I originally thought and was told by people that would know that the reason that it was only on one side is because that is an actual copyrighted logo. And if you put it on the other side, it's not facing the same direction. Therefore, it's kind of like a logo infringement. And I thought that made perfect sense. But that's not the reason. Because I I double-checked and triple-checked just a minute ago. The reason is really not all that cool. (laughs) Their helmets were originally gold with that logo on it, and it had both sides. But when they decided to go with a black helmet, Art Rooney said, I want to use that same logo on the black helmet, put it on the right side. So the equipment manager went, okay. He just put it on the right side. (laughs) And there you have it. What a boring reason. (laughs) Sometimes uh, small decisions become have large ramifications. And um, here's another decision that a uh, little surprising. Uh, former Alabama quarterback, son, uh, the great-grandson of Paul Bear Bryant, he transferred to Arizona State, and now he just announced that he is transferring to Clemson, going to play for Dabo Sweeney. And when I was writing Chasing the Bear, I was trying to figure out a way, how in the world can I, is there any connection at all between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban? And the only connection is Paul Tyson, because Paul Tyson was recruited by Saban and was on Saban's team. Like, the, that is the the only sort of DNA thread, because Nick, Nick and Bear never met. They never obviously played against each other. But um, anyway, Paul Tyson to Clemson. Uh, do you think, Corey? You think, Corey? <laughs> I was, I was saying, CMs. I, in the no, world. I was just reading your dad. I was just reading a, a, a tweet that your dad put out about the day he committed the the pastor of pain. Uh, what is it? Thirty three years ago today, or twenty two? Um, but and it's one of those pictures on Twitter. Yeah. Is one of those pictures um, I was describing yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Uh, just quick thoughts on, on Paul Tyson to Clemson. Well, you know, I, I thought the, you know, the kid, is it Klubnik, Klubnik, um, kid that they had, he, he had a yeah. pretty, uh, pretty good showing when he, uh, you know, filled in for Jesus, they're, 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 these, uh, these last names, DJ Ungale. Yeah. Ungle. DJ Ungale. <laughs> yeah. But, um. You know, he's, he's transferring a, out. Yeah, he's transferring out. But the Cade uh, guy, he, I think he was a freshman last year, so he's only going to be a sophomore, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I guess Paul Tyson will go on to Clemson and uh, try to compete against him and try to beat him out for the, the starting spot. But, um, uh, you know, as much as I want to say I wish him luck since, you know, he's a you know former Bama guy, I just have such bad blood with Clemson, man. I, after the, the, the two national championships <laughs> – that were taken from me from those guys. Oh man, I I just can't I can't root for Clemson. 
I hope Paul has success, but I can't root for Clemson. Can't do it. There are a lot of Alabama people who are like that. I, I, I'm on the other side. And, of course, I, I, I've known Dabo since he was, like, literally in high school. So that has a lot to do with it. But Dabo has been known to come into this state and grab somebody everybody wanted. The wide receiver out of uh, – Justin Ross. Justin Ross. And, and he hurt Alabama. I'm, I'm, I could just see – Christian Miller grimacing right now as I bring up these names. <laughs> yeah. Justin Ross, man, he, man, he was a player before he got uh, hurt. He's, he torched Alabama. Sorry, uh, Christian. That was a, thanks, Lars. Uh, Appreciate it. such such <laughs> such, a, such a great narrative right there. The way you're just describing that, uh, just painting such a beautiful visual in my mind right now. Just throwing some more words like right. torched. <laughs> Here, let me let me let me make it worse. <laughs> The best offensive defensive lineman Sorry. in this pot of the country is Peter Woods. Guess where he's going? Out of Thompson. Clemson Tigers. Clemson. Clemson. Back in a minute. Are we done? Here's football legend Howie Long for Skechers hands-free slip-in footwear. The world has gone hands-free, using the phone, turning on your lights, heck, even driving. However, if you want to put on a pair... Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. It feels wonderful. It's been a long time. It feels wonderful. Oh, that brings back back great memories. <laughs> uh, all right. The Army's here. First of all, first of all, I would like to congratulate my fellow inductees, Tom Landry, Jack Lambert, Ted Hendricks, Bob Greasy, Buck Buchanan, Bob St. Clair. It's a real honor for me to be a member of your class. And I'd like to thank you, Lynn Swan. And I look forward to the day that you will be immortalized. That's uh, Franco Harris in Canton with the gold blazer and all being inducted into the National Football League's Hall of Fame. Franco Harris passed away, I guess it's this morning. His son posted such at the age of 72, his cause of death was not given what a player uh we all know him and love him if you're of that generation and then even guys like christian miller have have watched and listened and his dad Corey miller will join us in a minute he didn't ever play against franco but when he was growing up i will bet Corey miller what's that little town in south carolina y'all grew up in pageland south carolina I bet your dad yeah pageland south carolina I bet he, your dad okay at one time or another, pretended he was Franco Harris in the backyard. 
I don't know if there's much too many people. backyards there, uh, Matt. He, he's from a small, small town. They, uh, they're known for the, the watermelon festival that they, they hold there each and every year. They, uh, <laughs> what was it again? Man, that sounds fun. The watermelon festival. Ask him about that. He, he takes pride in the, those watermelons he used to be harvesting or picking or whatever he used to be doing. Uh, he said he contributes the watermelon picking, picking to his, uh, his muscles. Ask him about that story. I uh, will. Now, where was this little bitty town that holds this festival? It's uh, it's Pageland, What's South. The name of it? It's Pageland, Pageland, P A G E L A N D, Pageland, South Carolina. It's right up uh, on the border, not not far from uh, the North Carolina border, and uh, very small town. Uh, not too much going on. I mean, his whole family kind of lived on the same little same little road. You know, you could literally walk to his aunts and uncles house and cousins they, they all live right next to each other <laughs> it's a great little place man and uh it's this uh really special you just have to go there you have to check it out one time pageland south carolina probably you probably none of y'all are probably i'll ever go when they it. have the watermelon <laughs> yeah there you go that's always fun. it's like a little festival they, they got a little you know like a little amusement stuff little rides and games but yeah the watermelons they're, they're known for the watermelons <laughs> lars have uh you ever taken and the world-renowned Pageland watermelon, watermelon Festival? And so you got taking a plug out of it, little square, make like one by one by one square, and you cut it out. Then you take a bottle of Grey Goose and you stick it in there and you spike the watermelon. Have you ever I, tasted I, that? No, I haven't. But uh, I have. I think I read this, or maybe it was in a movie, that Jimmy Hoffa. He absolutely hated watermelons. He did. And he didn't drink. And right. so the guys around him, all they would do is eat watermelon, and <laughs> they would pour the vodka in if, there. If, and, uh, uh, if uh, it's true in The Irishman, the movie, yeah, uh, that that scene is there. Uh, by the that's way, where it came if, from. if yeah. you want to celebrate a birthday, watch that movie, because you'll, you'll probably celebrate, too. Speaking of celebrations, I just it's wanted to three talk. and a half hours long. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of celebrations, last night, and I want to touch on this briefly, uh, was a celebration of life for Mike Leach in Starkville. And uh, the stories from the 13 speakers who uh, stepped up to the podium were just I incredible. Uh, there's so many funny anecdotes. Uh, Greg Sankey, he recalled a conversation with Leach where he wondered why neckties remain commonplace in today's formal wear, but powdered wigs have fallen out of style. <laughs> what a great observation. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln Riley, he uh, told a story of um, they're on their way to the team hotel, and, and Matthew McConaughey, uh, the actor, gave him a call, and Leach, uh, behind the wheel, he, he changed lanes while he was chatting, and, and he cut off this huge truck. And then the truck's driver comes over to Leach to have his say, and Leach thought he was just a fan, <laughs> when in fact the guy wanted to beat the tar out of him for cutting a little road rage. Uh, and then uh, uh, Leach's agent, Gary O'Hagan, he remembered uh, the coach's firm belief that he uh, would have been a world-class dodgeball player in yeah. middle school. Um, and um, it just it just went on and on. I mean, uh, Gardner Minshew, 
uh, his quarterback at Washington State, who likely is going to start this weekend for Philadelphia. He was excused uh, from from practice so he he could speak and uh he uh, uh dropped an f-bomb i don't think he meant to do that but uh, got a lot of laughs and um he and dropped then, an f-bomb in a eulogy yeah <laughs> wow um and hal mummy i'm right am i pronouncing that you right? got it all right hal it. mummy uh he he spoke uh and he mummy hired leach three different times as an assistant and he shared the origin story of Leach's obsession with pirates, and it began at Captain Tony's in Key West, and the two went there together after Leach had found a, a kicker from the area to recruit, uh, and he used that as an excuse to take a Florida vacation. Uh, at the time, he was coaching at Iowa Wesleyan, and uh, so he used that as an excuse, and uh, then... Um, you know, he ended up just falling in love with Captain Tony's at Key West, and that was the place he hung out at, right? When he I wasn't think, at the Floribama. Yeah, when he wasn't <laughs> at the Floribama. But it, it got me thinking, and I, I don't have the answer to this, Matt. Uh, it probably it just requires more thought. But ultimately, what is the legacy of Mike Leach? Oh, well, I guess quarterbacks that really might not have had uh, Bryce Young-like talent but put up Bryce Young-like numbers because of his system. I think his system uh, will be remembered for and, and used for quite a while. But I, just his personality, uh, you know, he's just happy-go-luck. I mean, what kind of coach calls Tony Curry at halftime? I know. I mean, and by the way, kudos to the SEC Network because they carried a lot of this live. Yeah. And I was listening to part of it. And another story, and I didn't catch the person's name that was at the podium. But he was really good friends with Leach, and he was also really good friends with John Wooden. And Leach had always wanted to meet John Wooden. And who wouldn't want yeah. to meet Wooden? So he arranged an opportunity, because they were both going to be in California, for him to meet John Wooden. And the guy's waiting to take him in and, and introduce him to John Wooden, arguably the greatest coach of any sport, anytime, anywhere. For those that don't know that, UCLA Bruins, what did he win, 10 championships? National championships. Anyway, he's waiting. He looks at it 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Leach shows up an hour late for a meeting with John Wooden. And his friend asked him, he said, where the have you been? And he said, well, I ran into an old friend of mine. I was at his house this morning. And he had a treehouse in his backyard. And I just couldn't get away. <laughs> a treehouse? He would rather play in a treehouse than meet John Wooden. Yeah. What a, what a unique character. And I think on the field, he's obviously going to be remembered for helping to sort of not necessarily be the one who created the uh, air raid offense, but one who honed it and developed it even more. And and Christian, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, you went against this offense uh, when you were at Alabama. What what made it so hard to defend? Well, you know, the air raid is you know typically used to spread defenses out and uh, makes it difficult because you know they they create a lot of mismatches. Sometimes it. Uh, requires you to change your personnel and, and get into a uh, an appropriate personnel to you know cover you know four wideouts and um, you, you just have to really good do a good job of just covering the whole field 
Um, usually it's, it's, uh, associated with up-tempo offenses. So they typically go fast and they just try to pick you apart. So it creates a lot of issues, um, for defenses, specifically, you know, a defense like we're, you know, used to in the SEC where we're usually run first. Um, you know, we're stout, we're bigger, stronger physical guys. Um, and then when you come and implement that in the SEC, uh, it's a whole new dynamic and something that a lot of teams hadn't seen before. Um, so definitely a huge challenge. And, uh, Mike Leach was a, a pioneer. Uh, for that offensive system and so I think that's a huge part of his legacy and, and like Matt mentioned not not only that but just just how authentic he was and and just to just think about like you know these interviews I just loved how he was just himself he didn't have a care in the world for what people thought um, he did what he enjoyed doing uh, he talked about what he enjoyed uh, talking about and, and and what he had a lot of interest in and, and I always respected uh, that about him he just was himself a very authentic person um, so he will be missed and um, that Hearing Gardner Minshew talk about him, it just shows you, you know, how special coaches um, are to players and, and how their confidence in you can help translate um, to you becoming a much better football player. Because it always starts with someone believing in, in you. You know, usually you believe you usually you believe in yourself. But when you have someone in that role to, to instill confidence in you and say, hey, I believe in you, um, it means so much to a player. And it usually can help, you know, be a catalyst for, for future success and to really um, tap into your full potential. So I thought that was really special to see as well. All right. As we uh, go to break here, here is Gardner Minshew at uh, the remembrance of Mike Leach yesterday. He's made Coach uh, so special, you know. He could um, see that potential in people and help bring it out of you. You know, he didn't, um, he didn't believe those really overachievers, if you could – achieve it you know that was your 100 percent but he had a gift of getting you closer to that 100 percent and that's a hell of a gift he was different this is big noon sports with lars matt and christian the best sports talk in the state tide 100.9 and streaming on the tide 100.9 app this holiday ad will be over in 27 seconds. Unlike the new Duracell battery with power boost ingredients that can last 19,976. Cloudy tomorrow, some scattered light rain, the high 57. Windy and very cold on Friday. The chance of morning snow flurries, the high 24. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 49 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Welcome back into Big Noon Sports. That was uh, the the rest of the clip of Gardner Minshew, the former Washington State quarterback who played for Mike Leach and and developed a a real strong bond with Mike Leach. And uh, last night uh, they had a 
a memorial for Coach Leach. And uh, boy, Matt, it just uh, it, it feels like we're we're just losing too many people. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, Franco Harris last night and uh, Mike Leach, but um, that's a circle of life, I guess. I, I don't know. It is, I, but it, you know, <laughs> know how uh, and we all it. know it's coming. I mean, it is. I'm probably a lot closer than most people are. Don't like to think about it. Don't like to talk about it. But uh, I feel comfortable. Uh, hope. Hopefully, I know where I'm going. Uh, I think. Uh, I think I the th- pastor th- of pain would know. I think you got a lot of runway in front of you. Still. Oh, I, I think so too. Uh, but I'm a very, very blessed man. And uh, but you're right. It does. And are we just more aware? Do really? Do, do they come in threes? Yeah. Have you ever noticed it's that? A, I mean, it, it really is. seems like it that's is. true. Um, and I, I don't really know why. I think it's actually, you know, it's front of mind, so you recognize it. And then, um, I hope it's only two this week. How about that? Yeah. Um, do you? You were younger, but do you have a, a other than the immaculate reception? Do you have a Franco Harris mem- memory? No, I. Because um... th- I'm pretty sure he chewed up the Bengals a few times. Yeah. You know, I remember the Rams playing the Steelers in the Super Bowl. And my favorite player was Vince Ferragamo. No, it wasn't. Vince Ferragamo. Nobody's favorite player is Vince Ferragamo. Where did he go to college? I guess he went to Nebraska. Yes, he did. <laughs> and, you know, so uh, and Johnny Rogers. Vince, But Johnny Rogers never played in the Super Bowl. Vince Ferragamo, uh, they were huge underdogs. And by the way, it, I mean, that might be the greatest name in the history of the NFL. Vince Ferragamo. It's better than um, Phil Volipiano? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but, but Franco Harris was just masterful in that game. And, and he did all the little things, you know, picking up blitzes. And uh, they didn't throw it to him very much, but he had, he had good hands. And um, if you needed three and a half yards, he got you four. Uh, just uh, the, the type of player you you wanted on your team, and um, you know it's a sad day, sad day, and uh, it, it's um, it, it, it's sort of the double whammy that the anniversary of the immaculate reception is coming up here. Fifty years, He's, he was going to have his uh, number retired, number thirty-two, uh, this weekend in Pittsburgh, and they're playing the Raiders. And it's just, uh, it was going to be a real special time. And there's going to be a, a gathering of all these former Steeler players. And, um, you know, now there's, uh, it's obviously not going to be quite as special. But there is one good thing, I believe, that will come out of this is, is that the, the players will be able to get together and they'll be able to grieve together. And to me, the. Gosh, what does grieving mean? Uh, Everybody you know, well, grieves in yeah, their own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just think about losing my dad uh, when I was pretty young, and and what made me feel good was sharing stories with others, right? And hearing stories about my dad, and um, and just uh, and and just you know, just communicating, just just having human moments. All right, Corey Miller joins us now, and uh, Corey, the the father of Christian Miller. Corey, what is your favorite memory of Franco Harris? 
Wow, you know, <laughs> of course, the macro reception, I mean, that's one everybody's going to go to. I mean, I think it transcended uh, still the organization. It changed. Uh, you know, that, that catch was, it just really set them on par for many other Super Bowls, I believe. So, I mean, that's pretty much the one that I, I remember because you got to understand, I heard Christian telling you about my little town where I'm from, you know, our little black and white TV, you know, with no cable, none of that stuff back then. Uh, so we had to put the little aluminum foil on the antenna and we had to take turns of holding <laughs> the antenna in the right spot and the birth button, you know, to go up and down and stop it from flipping. So, you know, we did the best that we could to watch some of the games. Man. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the one that I remember best. But Franco Harris is, uh, I call him a friend of mine. Um, we didn't play against each other, uh, you know, uh, after football, life after football, obviously you get to, to take part in a lot of celebrity events, a lot of charity charity events. Uh, I remember the last one we had was with Jim Furyk, who's one of my best friends, uh, him and Tabitha Furyk at his house. Uh, and Franco was, you know, just talking about being healthy. Him and his wife, they were really big on health. And uh, he was just telling us how we should eat blueberries every day. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, like, man, I don't really like blueberries, but I did start eating blueberries. But um, he's such a humble, kind, generous person, great heart. Um, we talked a long time on our golf carts uh, between rounds of another event uh, about the whole Joe Pop situation at Penn State and, and his stance on that. We had some really deep and in-depth conversations. I'm very good friends with the sister, Luana, who I uh, communicate with this morning, and I told her I was sorry, you know, they all just really just in disbelief. Uh, you know, Franco was out yesterday taking pictures at the airport out there, I think, with a statue, um, talking to people, doing radio shows. No, nobody's seen anything wrong. And uh, they, of course, coming in town for this big event this weekend in Pittsburgh. So, you know, it's just a sad day, man. The, the 72 years old is young. I would like to say 72 years young, excuse me. Uh, but... Uh, you know, we all hurt, man, you know, an icon, but we talk about a guy that was a great person. You know, yeah, the football was great. A lot of great memories there, Super Bowls. Uh, but when you know somebody personally and you know what kind of heart that they have, good people, they love people, him and his wife, it really hurts even deeper. Hey, we needed to ask you about watermelons. As long as we're talking about page land. And I guess you heard the conversation. So fill us in on the details. And are they the best watermelon? Do they claim to be the best watermelons in uh, in America? I am so shocked that you never heard of the watermelon capital of the world. Page on South Carolina, <laughs> brother. I mean, listen, we raise the watermelons and load them 18-wheeler trucks up. We take them to the markets up in Roanoke, Virginia, unload them. Of people, man. I mean, you know, you talk about sticking your hand down there and just getting the heart of that watermelon, the the, the juiciness of it, the the sweetness of it. Uh, just amazing. Whether it be the the jubilee style, or I mean, listen, man. If you ever want a great watermelon, I got to get you guys one. I don't know the watermelon festival that we have in July is great. They have a parade. They got rides. We got food. They got gospel singing. They got the you know seventies, eighties music. It is amazing. I mean, the watermelons. It's what my, was my gym. The watermelon fields was my gym. I used watermelons to do curls with. That's how I got these big biceps. I mean, people, <laughs> listen really? to me. Google the watermelon capital of the world, Paisley, South Carolina, 29728, baby. 
24, 2,500 people, but I tell you, a lot of greatness in that little town of Payton. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're, you know. I'm looking at it right now. I'm, so I'm sure you're, you're you're glowing now that you got to speak <laughs> about Page I, I had to let you shout them out. I know uh, if, if they were listening, uh, I'm sure they're so happy and proud right now. But <laughs> um, in, t- in, ter- in terms of recruiting, uh, matter of fact, Alabama just had two more five stars, uh, two teammates over at Carver High School, uh, known for oh, yeah. Mac Wilson and, and Sean Deon Hamilton. Those two guys came from Carver High School in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, and Justin Smith and uh, Quay Rousseau, they just signed with Alabama, creating a total of six five-stars now. Um, but as you know, Jeez. as well as I do, um, it, stars don't matter. What you did in high school really doesn't matter. It's about what you do when you get there. Um, however, um, what do you think it's saying about Alabama right now, the way they're hitting the recruiting trail so hard after – again, I hate to even say it like this, but just this past season I wouldn't say – not by any means a disappointment, but just obviously didn't uh, reach all the goals that you know they're usually um, set on uh, reaching. How would you, how would you describe this recruiting class after seeing some of the star power that they've been able to acquire? Well, a couple of things, Christian. I think you, you look at the, the the position groups, right? That they went after. That uh, I heard you guys talk about it. You spot on. The offensive line was a big concern. Changing the narrative. Uh, of what we saw and have seen the last couple of years. I think all of us, if we're honest, we would look at this offensive line and say, hey, you know what, they've been a little bit soft for me. That's not the typical Alabama. We, they're not changing the line of scrimmage. They're not pushing people back. Matter of fact, the defensive line is playing on the other side of the field. That, that normally didn't happen. You know, what about the, these, these games where they, they needed that four-minute offense? You know what I'm talking about when you, you're running out the clock and that offensive line just – just lay on the defensive line. They maul them, big backs coming downhill after play after play, make people quit. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen that. And I think Alabama got a little bit too cute uh, over the years where they, they started getting smaller, more athletic offensive linemen, but they had no booty. They had no big butts, as I like to call them. <laughs> they, didn't, they couldn't move. They couldn't push the pot. They couldn't do anything, right? And so Coach Saban has seen enough. And I think, you know, you're going to look at Tennessee, you look at – uh, LSU, those games, they couldn't run the football effectively. When you got to throw it 40, 45 times, that's not Nick Saban football. Yeah, you can have a balance, but you don't want to be so one-dimensional, man. And when you become one-dimensional, that means you're going to lose some games. And I think that's a big part of why you saw and have seen these offensive linemen. And now you get some, some D linemen as well and, and, and some secondary guys. So, you know, it's not dead at Alabama, man. I think you got new life, and I think this recruiting class has shown it. Corey, as we go to break, and we're going to hold you for a, another segment here, are there ways people can follow you, listen to you? What's your, what's your Twitter handle? At Pastor of Pain. At Pastor, Pastor of Pain. Pastor of Pain. You, pain. you have you the best Twitter of handle of anyone I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Back with more Big News Sports with Corey Miller. Pastor of Pain. The Pastor of Pain. What is it? John Facent? Remember him? The NFL voice guy? Yeah. Voice of NFL films. Would he say that name right? Woo! Coming up. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Have you been naughty or nice this year? Cash don't care. 
At Jackson Hewitt, you could still get up to $4,500 for the holidays. Some bucks now, more bucks in January. Individuals, this is the third number in the 90-year history of the Steelers that will be retired. What an and, honor. And, 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 you know, the Steelers are about defense, right? No doubt. Their whole history, but. No doubt. So I feel honored that the first offensive, <laughs> first offensive jersey. That's a big deal, Frank. To, you, know, you know, to be retired. It's yes, a it big is. deal. It's a. Franco Harris, Hall of Famer, passed away at the age of yeah. 72. Hey, I've got to – I know we had arrangements here, but I, I'm, I'm doing a little dig into Pageland, okay? <laughs> uh, okay. 2,700 – by the way, I, I'm, I'm going to jump all over the place. Corey, do you like some Bill Withers now? Uh, Did you hear that? Don't make me start. So you know I sing, too. You know I travel with a hoot in the blow pit for you. Lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day, lovely day. Okay, all right, that's enough. All right, right. right. go on. Uh, But if you look, if you look up Pageland, their water tower has a slice of watermelon on it. How appropriate! (laughs) (laughs) All right, Corey. Thirty-five years ago today. Or 35 years yeah. ago was your signing day, and you you tweeted this picture out. So therefore, it's it's fair game to uh, discuss. Uh, you yep. are seated at a table, and your uh, number 33 jersey is in front of you, and I believe it's your assistant coaches, uh, four of them behind you, and you look like you're ready to fight Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> like, were, were you angry? Like, did you play with? Yeah, man. Like, you, 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 uh, did, did when when the photographer says, "Okay, uh, cheese," uh, yeah, you, you don't smile. <laughs> Listen, man, you had to. You know, I wanted people to, to know, you know, what was going to take place, right? Because, you know, in that little town, you know, there were some ballers up there, right? When I, I was a little two A school. Uh, I had what eighty, ninety people in my graduating class, so here I am going to the, the University of South Carolina, Joe Morrison. Uh, you know, already gave me my number 33. I had my number 33 that, at Payson retired. And I wanted to, to let folks know, you know, don't judge me by the size of my school because I'm coming with some attitude. And I, and I, I, you go on at Pastor Payne 57, I, I, I put a video why I'm concerned about NIL and these guys getting money because I think it takes away their hunger and thirst. I think it takes away their desire to want to be great. I think it takes away their desire to want to, you know, go to that next level because they're getting money now. Well, I was angry because we were broke. We didn't have nothing, right? And this was my way. I wasn't smart. I wasn't Christian Miller and have graduated in three years and, you know, masters in four years and kudos to him who worked hard. I wasn't smart like that. He got that from his mother. And so, you know, I, my, my roadmap was to say, I got to play ball, man, and I had to have an attitude, right? I was a nice guy, quiet guy off the field, but I'm telling you, as I told the Shrine Bowl, North Carolina, South Carolina uh, All-Stars last week that I spoke to, listen, man, I will fight you, bro, and, and I'm going you, you, you get in the way of my meal money, and we're going to have a problem. <laughs> so that, that's just how I roll. So I, I had to set that standard early, man. I'm going to switch gears to the NFL real quick. Um, 
Patrick Mahomes is now, you know, favored to win the MVP. A lot of people still feel Jalen Hurts is deserving. You know, I feel like he's been playing phenomenal as well. Just to see the progression that he's made over the years and uh, the play that he's put out there this year um, is remarkable. And um, I still think he has a really good chance of uh, taking on the MVP trophy. What are your thoughts on that? And, and who do you feel is, is the front runner right now for the NFL MVP? Jalen, listen, uh, Jalen, if you take Jalen away from this offense, we're going to see that probably this weekend against the Cowboys with, uh, you know, uh, him not probably being able to play with a sprained shoulder, how much he means to his team. I don't think the offense can run effectively without him because of his legs, his ability to run the football. He's been, been very efficient throwing the football. Um, so, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, the, the way this offense is structured, I, I think you get some quarterbacks in there that's got an arm that can still make plays with all those receivers, all those tight end. I mean, the backs, I mean, they got a plethora of players. But I think Jalen just means more to his football team and the way he has played. I mean, it's just been phenomenal. It's unfortunate that he, you know, he probably could play if they had to have him, but you don't want him to go in there and re-injure and, you know, that, that shoulder now, you know, he can't play in the playoffs. So there goes to win the Super Bowl. But I still think uh, it should be Jalen's award, but but again, Patrick Mahomes is special. He really is. But I think to this point, it should be uh, Jalen Hurts. And man, what a story, right? I mean, coming here, Alabama being benched and come back in to save the team. And people saying he can't throw and he's never going to be any good. And now we're talking about this guy being the most valuable player of the greatest sports league in the world, the National Football League. Pretty impressive. Corey Miller is our guest on Big Noon Sports. I want to go back to the discussion you were putting forth just a minute ago about, and Christian has said this. In fact, he said it day one, the first time we ever did a show together. Uh, no, actually, it was after Texas. Uh, do you think Alabama l- lacked that killer instinct, that dog uh, that Christian talked about and you were just talking about? It, it, was that their problem this past year? Yes. I mean, I mean, man, it was frustrating you know i mean i'm an alabama fan of course i love my gamecocks and i'm alumnus and i love christian's team and i pull for them like crazy it was hard to watch at times because understanding the game uh, the way i do i didn't see fights i didn't see a nastiness even on the defensive side i thought our defense took a step backwards because i, I didn't see guys in the front with the defensive linemen that they've had in the past with that same kind of Killer instinct. I didn't see an alpha dog out there anywhere. Anywhere. I didn't see that. I seen guys get pushed around. I seen guys getting knocked down and, and not getting back up and fighting. I mean, so Nick Saban's seen the same thing. I promise you. He watched them. Uh, we were over there when I was in town last week and had a chance to just watch the, the old some of the old film of Christian and playing. And um, and you look at all those guys, those defensive linemen that are in the National Football League right now that's making plays. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I'm like, where are those guys? I, honestly, I think they have not recruited to the standard of which in which this team has, has known to be. Offensive line, defensive line. What win national championships? The trenches. Why did Georgia win the national championship last year in the end against Alabama? They were better in the trenches. They were more physical defensively. So here's a, here's a coach that's taken your, your, your setup, everything that you've done, and applied it to his, his guys. And he won a championship with. And don't think Nick Saban is not fired up about this. So I got to go get me some big butts on the offensive line. I got to go get me some dudes with an attitude on the defensive line. And, yeah, I still need some skilled guys. But there, there are a lot of those guys out there. There are not a lot of guys 
that's got that physicality in the offensive line and defensive line that you can develop. So you got you got to go get those guys. So I think when I looked at this recruiting class, I'm like, yes, get back to what you used to be, the process. That means been the biggest, the fastest, the toughest, the nastiest out there in the SEC and all of college football, and they've lost that a little bit. They got a little bit too cute and fancy, but now you got to get to busting people in the mouth, as I like to say. Get them in the mouth, making them pay a price, and that to have a nastiness about you. That was always Alabama football. Preach, preach out. No, you're definitely right about that. Uh, man, that's good stuff. In terms of recruiting, you know, I know you're a big Gamecocks guy. And any anybody stand out from the Gamecocks recruiting class that you want to talk about or that you they're, that you're excited about? I'm just excited that you know what Shane Beamer's doing, Christian. He's a good guy. He works his tail off. Uh, they're getting better players. You know, you got to have Jimmy and Joe's. No matter what coach you got on the sideline, if you don't have Jimmy and Joe's, you can't win. South Carolina has. Uh, recruited to a level now they're getting and competing against other big schools like Georgia and Clemson and Alabama, and they're landing some of those guys. That tells me that this this program is headed into the right direction. But you know me, son. Listen, I don't care what star you got beside you. Tell me what your star going to be when you leave the program, right? I don't care if you're five-star, eight-star, two-star. When you finish playing, what star can I give you? That tells me how well you recruited. So Alabama fans, yeah, get excited. Year two, three, and four, tell me what stars you're going to give these kids then because that tells you how they've recruited, right? So, so that, that's how I look at it. Yes, high school, you know, that big lineman, I love his size. He got the skill set, but he was going against defensive linemen weighing 175. Well, last I watched, they don't weigh that in the SEC. You better be ready to do that to a 300-pounder, 290 guy that can, that can run a 4-5-40. So that's all about the development process. So I don't get into winning recruiting day. I get into after the three, four, five years down the road, you know, show me, show me what kind of star that you are. And, yeah, you need the, 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 the tools and all the speed and the, the length. That's good. But I need to know what star you are four years down the road. Now, unfortunately, today they're going to have to keep recruiting their guys, these same guys, year after year because of the transfer portal. And that's a sad day for me. I mean, so you get them there to sign, but will they be there next year, two years down the road? Or they going to chase the bag. That's, that's the other thing they got to do. Great stuff from Corey Miller. Final question as we go to break. And, again, thank you so much for your time. Do yes, you put sir. salt on your watermelon? Man, that's nasty. That's kind of like putting sugar in grits. <laughs> right. If you put sugar in grits, right. you're not southern. Right. If you put salt on watermelon, yep. you're not southern. Come on. You're phony. You're phony. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to be up there in July because you and I, we need to have a big old, just eat the heart out of a watermelon and go. And listen to some Bill Withers. That won't be my guest. That won't be my guest, man. We're going to hang out when I get back to Tuscaloosa, brother. Please do. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. Thank you, guys. All right. Boy, I read something today about Birmingham, Alabama that literally made me sad. That's coming up. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Roll Tide. The best sports talk, period. Your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Have you been naughty or nice this year? Cash don't care. 
At Jackson Hewitt, you could still get up to $4,500 for the holidays. Some bucks now, more bucks in January. Cloudy tomorrow, some scattered light rain, the high 57. Windy and very cold on Friday. The chance of morning snow flurries, the high 24. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 50 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Hugh Freeze is having a very, very good day. Give me, uh, for instance, as to where they were and where they are now. He just flipped a corner from Ohio State. Flipped flipped another player from Florida State. And uh, what is rather enjoyable to watch is the absolute meltdown on Twitter that Ohio State fans are having. You would think that they were 0-12 based on the reaction to uh, a few players that have either decommitted or flipped uh, rather than, you know, they are playing in the college football playoff. And I actually like them to upset Georgia in the first round, but that's something we'll get into later, Matt. Uh, we got all next week to, to break that down. All right. Uh, I'm doing my morning read. I used to just be able to say I was reading the paper this morning, but now I'm reading something online here. What is the least happy city in America. Is it Birmingham? It is Birmingham. I don't know. I'm pretty happy. Uh, well, we live in... I, I think they're talking about Birmingham proper, right? Because the suburbs... Uh, I don't know many housewives that are unhappy in Mountain Brook. Do you? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man, I could go in so many directions. Uh, the, the, the somebody tiny somebody in this room may have contributed to their happiness. Uh, <laughs> well... Okay, this is based on <laughs> this is based on metrics such as personal bankruptcy, filings per capita, life expectancy, and percentage of residents living in poverty. I am not going to ask you to guess this. I will just inform you that the, this one doesn't surprise me. Newark, New Jersey is second. Uh, and this one does surprise me. Uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, 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 and by the way, the the happiest city in America, Sunnyvale, California. Hmm. Can't imagine anything in California being happy these days. But uh, anyway, yeah, a little interesting. Um, I, I would like to know sort of more about the the metrics. I'm I'm always skeptical of uh, lists like that well, because it, it is just so random. Um, well, and when it when it comes from a website with all of the credibility of its name, it's called SmartAsset.com. <laughs> so, does that have a lot of validity to it? Yeah. Who is that? The, 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 uh, gosh. The happiest city is actually Pageland, South Carolina. <laughs> Something in those watermelons, huh? <laughs> yeah. Man, I love watermelon. Karen buys it twice a week. How do you grow seedless watermelons? That has always been something that has just boggled my mind. Who, are you Stephen Wright? That's a great line. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Do you, Christian, do you have any idea? I have no clue. We probably should have asked the the pastor that was just on. He he might yeah, the know. watermelon expert. Yeah, the watermelon pastor expert. Pastor of pain. 
Man, I yeah, well, there's only one generation, Josh. That's funny. Uh, when I was a kid, and I would go back and visit my grandparents, my aunts, and my uncles in Arkansas. It's the only state I've ever known, but they had them in El Dorado and in Little Rock, the two places that I would go, and Fayetteville. Um, they had watermelon huts. Have you ever seen these? Mm-mm. There's a little wooden, almost looks like a small barn, and they have watermelons on ice and picnic tables. And you just walk up, they'll cut you a slice of it and hand it to you. And I'd eat it all the way down to the Rhine and make myself sick. Yeah, it, this past summer, uh, Lincoln, you remember this. My son's still in the studio with us, my seven-year-old. I had uh, I, I cut up watermelon into pretty large slices. I basically had my three kids sit up at the counter and put their hands behind their back and just dig in. Really? Who can finish it first? And I believe Lincoln won that contest, didn't you, Lincoln? Yeah, he's he's nodding yes. Way to go, you old corn husker, you. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. I love watermelon in the summer. Oh, you're not a salt guy, are you? No, 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 no. You're it's, not a salt it's, guy, it's, are you, Chris? It's good for the hydration. Absolutely not. But I'm, I'm curious though, water. Lars. I know you're in Birmingham now, but uh, grits. Do you grow up eating them, or do you eat them now? I do eat them now. Yeah, uh, my dad made them for me because uh, uh, he wanted he he had been to the south and he wanted me to expose me to grits and i love grits good you know, i bet you put Christian sugar in them no, no I, I don't put sugar i don't I put don't anything know. i put just butter butter i throw my eggs in them though butter. I've yeah i've done that yeah, before too my all eggs. Okay. Yeah. yeah as long as we're going there uh, how do you like your eggs prepared christian uh normally just scrambled or i, or I might do an omelet sometimes what about you Lars? over easy and I just had these the other day. Over easy, and then you have uh, wheat toast, and you put the egg on the toast, and you, you eat it that way. I I made that meal for you. Yeah. One 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 night. Yeah. Uh, like one but, in the morning. Yeah. I, maybe later <laughs> than that. I don't know. But uh, I love, and I know we had this in common. Um, I love my eggs over easy. My dad loved them, and uh, I think it, when I was a kid, I liked to just go. Oh, the dab is breaking. The dab is breaking. <laughs> and all the yolk would spill everywhere. And I just I absolutely love that. So, Are you uh, collards or turnips or either? Collards. Got to go collards. Do you eat them, Lars? Never had either one. Wow. Let Karen make you some collards. Okay. Or maybe Christian's mom. Or better yet. Let's go I've see Corey had, and Payton and have collards. Oh, never had black eyed collards down there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lars, what did you just say? I've never had black eyed peas. Wow. God. Boy, we're going to have to fatten you up. Where does the oh, magic of the holidays come from? The North Pole? Maybe. Sugar plum fairies? Probably not. At Walgreens, we know that magic comes from you. It's the halls 